So welcome to A Correction Podcast. I'm your host, Lev Moscow, and today we're really excited to be joined by Anders Anderson, who's an associate professor at the Stockholm School of Economics and a research fellow at the Swedish House of Finance. Welcome to the show, Anders. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about a very interesting paper that you co-authored with Harrison Hong entitled Welfare Implications of Electric Bike Subsidies, Evidence from Sweden. So in 2017, in an attempt to reduce carbon emissions, Sweden passed the, an e-bike subsidy law. Um, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about, uh, first, what, what was in this law? What's in the policy? The policy was announced actually in, in September 2017. And um, basically, it was a subsidy for uh, 25% of the purchase price of new e-bikes, but it was also capped at around $1,100. But otherwise, it, it was uh, quite a generous uh, policy, uh, which was then in place for 2018. And, and the idea was for it to continue up until 2020, but it was so popular, in fact, so, so they had to shut it down already in September of 2018. Okay, so how did the subsidy work? I, I want to go buy an e-bike. What do I have to do to get the subsidy? Well, the way it was constructed, it was pretty easy and straightforward. So uh, you had to fill out a, a form um, from um, the Swedish EPA uh, stating what kind of bike and model um, you bought and, and, and close the receipt of the e-bike. And then the EPA would uh, uh, compensate you with 25% of, of, of that uh, amount uh, and put it in your bank account, basically. Oh, it's that easy. Yeah. And there are other regional e-bike subsidy programs. Are there other national programs like this? There are a few. I, I'm aware of a very big policy. The, uh, I think it's called the e-bike act in the US. It's not gone through yet, uh, but it's discussed, I think. And, and it's a, a really big policy uh, discussed in Germany uh, worth a, a, a billion uh, euros. But then there are many, many regional problems, uh, sort of, sorry, programs. Uh, around Europe, I think around 300 regional programs. But it's very difficult to say exactly the scope of all these programs. It's difficult to get information uh, about them. Um, so I think one of the merits of our paper is actually to document how these programs work. Yeah, so tell me, what were you trying to, to find out in your paper? One of the um, arguments for introducing uh, these types of policies, it also goes for, for other types of vehicles like cars, right? Electric cars that um, you want to reduce carbon emissions. But um, so, so that motivated us to, to look into this a little bit deeper because it also comes at the cost, right? So you have to compare um, what the cost is for, for um, uh, having new consumers buying these e-bikes and substitute uh, for car driving and how much of that substitution would reduce uh, uh, carbon emissions. That's the calculation you want to do basically to verify how, how mm -hmm. these programs work. Yeah, so walk me through your paper a little bit. What are the findings? Well, so we like to think about um, the evaluation of these programs that sort of have three main challenges. Um, so the, the, the first one, um, economists would, would uh, call incidents or tax incidents. So, so basically when you uh, levy a tax or introduce a subsidy, uh, you know, prices can change as well as quantities, 
meaning that you know uh, producers may see an opportunity to raise prices mm -hmm. uh, and and this makes this calculation much more complicated uh, what we find is actually that uh, consumers they receive the bulk uh, of this uh, uh, transfer so so that was uh, uh, check check in a box the second um uh, the, the, the second challenge is what uh, economists would, would call inframarginality. So essentially, when you subsidize, you're going to subsidize people that already would have bought a bike anyway, right? So, so it's, it's, it's basically these additional consumers that you somehow uh, need to estimate. But we had a survey in place here that uh, sort of guided us uh, towards what that kind of amount would be. And, and we estimate that the additional amount of e-bikes sold uh, was something like uh, two thirds. So wow. a sharp increase uh, in, the, uh, in the interest of e-bikes. And finally, um, it's all about substitution, right? So, so how do you, you basically you don't target car drivers by these types of policies. Uh, and in fact, we also have data on this through the same survey uh, so we can sort of calculate how much car driving is reduced by, um, by, 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 the, by the policy. Okay, and, and what did you find there? So actually we saw that uh, a lot of people reported that they um, switched from driving to e-biking. So I think before the subsidy, uh, sorry, before the purchase of their e-bike, 34% uh, uh, re uh, reports that they use the car every day, but after purchasing the e-bike, only 4% say that they use the car every day. Wow. So that's quite substantial. Yeah, so I'm wondering with, with all of the success that the program had, um, is it simply that the, that the Swedish EPA ran out of money to fund it? Yeah, so <clears throat> it was successful because it was very popular. Uh, I think something like 100,000 e-bikes were subsidized. Uh, and it was also some change in, in, in government and the new uh, government actually didn't pass the funding for the co continuation of the program as planned. So that, that was the main reason why it was shut down. But anyway, having this all this data and looking at all these uh, different components um, that uh, is useful for thinking about carbon reductions, we, we still see that it's a pretty expensive policy if if the, the, the motivation is only to reduce um, carbon emissions. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanna talk about that. So at, at some point in your paper, you say that the e-bike subsidy program can only be justified with a social cost of carbon that is several hundred dollars higher than what's typically used. And as a non-economist, I don't understand what that means. <laughs> well, um, well, I, I don't think anyone knows what the true social cost of carbon is, right? So we know that there, there's a lot of externalities um, that people who, uh, um, you know, use cars or, or they fly or, and, or whatever they do that produces a lot of emissions that has externalities on other people. And there should be some sort of, of cost to that uh, externality, right? And, and um, Nordhaus, the, the um, Nobel laureate, um, he, um, he estimates that this cost should be maybe in the range of 50 to $100. Uh, I think there's, um, there's a price to emission rights now in Europe. And I think they, 
they're priced around $100. So I think many economists, they think about the social cost of carbon being maybe in the range of $100. But uh, what we find in our paper is that this cost would need to be something like $600 uh, if subsidizing e-bikes uh, was to be justified for just reducing carbon. Now, there could be other sort of side effects for people biking, right? Uh, sort of health effects and, and, and so forth. Th th those we don't calculate or we can't calculate them. But, but just looking at the carbon emissions, it seems that this is maybe an, a, an expensive way of, of, of achieving that target of reducing carbon emissions. Well, I guess a couple of questions about it. How do we come or how did Nordhaus come up with that $100 price for carbon? Yeah, well, so I think this is the, the intersection of uh, natural science and, and economics. Mm. So obviously it's not, not easy to calculate price of externalities. And, and also natural scientists, they have different climate models. Uh, so you can have models that also would probably predict a very high um, carbon price um, if, if you have like a tipping point of the climate or something like that, that in mind. Uh, so this is not um, an exact science and, and uh, uh, you know, exact number. It's just that the number that you get out of, of looking at e-bikes seems to be um, far off the range that, that could motivate it purely from a carbon re reduction perspective. Yeah, I guess then my follow-up question is, we think about things like, have the health benefits or you know not not sitting in traffic or not having cars take up so much space in the city you know yeah. spaces and so forth how how can economists or do economists put a price on that stuff i think um in, in transportation uh, economics they have ways of dealing with this so uh, of course if you have congestion in mind um, there is a price for that because uh, people lose time and that can be sort of estimated. This is something that we uh, still have to do if we want to include it in our analysis. Uh, I think when it comes to health effects, obviously it's better probably to e-bike than to drive a car. Mm -hmm. But then we also have people that uh, substitute from regular biking to e-biking. That might be... Um, less good for health. In any case, I think the health effects play out over a very long time. So it's, uh, so they're harder to estimate from, from our perspective since the policy we're looking at was quite recent. Um, I think they might be there, but it's also complicated because it's not only car drivers, right? So there are people also substituting from regular biking. Uh, and you can also think about uh, safety so it's probably more safe to drive a car than to ride a bike. So that would go in the opposite direction. Um, so I think that that calculation could be done maybe, but it's quite complicated. But I think the final thing we haven't looked at, but probably should look at, is the peer effect that you can imagine by a program like this. So what, yeah. what, what, I, have, what I have in mind is that, so say that uh, you and I, uh, both live in the same same city and I see you so you buy a, an e-bike with a subsidy um, and I see you 
go to work with the e-bike and uh, I, I, I figure out that this is a pretty good idea. So I also buy an e-bike. So, so, so this creates sort of an additional demand um, or is stimulated by a policy like this, um, which sort of makes the transition quicker. So that could be also a potential uh, externality. And I think this is data that we, um, we might have, we can look at so we can see whether sales are, are sort of clustered in different regions, meaning that uh, more people in the same neighborhood seem to buy them together and, and so oh, forth. That would be a great study. It's exactly what happened with us. I, I got my e-bike a couple of years ago and my wife thought it was so cool that I had one. Plus I was able to go to the beach with it and you know she wanted to be able to come with me. So she got hers and another friend got yeah. one right after that. So it mm-hmm. seems seems like an obvious thing that to, to happen but I guess that brings me to you know an, an observation which maybe show how uneducated I am about this stuff but this just seems like an obviously good policy one that you know what's frustrating is that okay so we, we can't price some things which seem so obviously beneficial and I wonder if, if you think that's a limitation of economics or we just haven't got around to those studies but you know, one of the things I'm thinking about is I, I now e-bike to work and as opposed to taking the subway, which I was doing all winter. Mm-hmm. And my day in the subway was just so miserable. I'd start the day at 6.30, bleary-eyed in a, an awful mm-hmm. environment. And I'd yeah. start my, my, my work day like that. And now mm-hmm. I'm, you know, on a bike path, flying through the city, by the river. Mm-hmm. And that seems like something which you ought to be able to price into the policy. And I'm just not sure, you know, how you do that and whether or not economics can do that. Is there an economics of, of feeling good? Yeah, definitely. Um, so ultimately well-being is the main um, goal also for reducing carbon, right? Um, but um, the question here is maybe, so why exclusive exclusively target e-bikes so why wouldn't you want to subsidize regular bikes well that's true too right (laughs) that's a good question um so so i think uh, so this is political in a way right so so this uh, bill was passed by the green party which was in um, power back then um but uh, and and i think what what has happened in many countries is that uh, some people have felt um, maybe excluded by subsidies directed towards electric cars. And these uh, items are very expensive. And if you look at the Tesla, for instance, it's more or less only rich people that can afford to buy these cars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I think yeah, some of these e-bike policies might have come out of the idea that you should also be able to subsidize items that are more available for a, for a more general um, audience, even though I think that, you know, even e-bikes are quite expensive. So I don't think everyone can afford them mm-hmm. even with the subsidy. Right. Right. But so you were starting to say that this happens when the Green Party came into power, I guess. Yeah. When they lose power, maybe a more conservative party comes in. This policy gets killed. So I guess there has to be a desire or a clamoring on the part of the, the populace to to push their politicians towards reestablishing mm-hmm. these subsidies, but it has to it has to come from the people. Yeah, I mean, all parties, I mean, they have their own agenda for 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 doing things. And, and uh, you know, 
a policy like this is, is mainly, I think, more or less typical for a European Green Party to introduce this kind of, of policies. That, that's what we see when you look throughout Europe and, and the policies that are out there. Yeah, I want to talk about another uh, paper that you did. Um, when you have a population which is really concerned with climate change and really, really motivated to, to do something about it, what do you find in terms of their in investing decisions? Do people who are, who are really concerned about climate change end up getting a green portfolio? Yeah, so that's a different paper, and, and you're right. So, so in, in this becomes more complex because then you're mixing sort of green preferences with, um, with finance. And what we find is that uh, we don't find that in sort of in general that people who are green, which is, uh, I would say, almost the majority in Sweden, mm. uh, you know, green preferences, uh, would, would automatically change their um, pension savings towards more green funds. Um, but we do find for the people who have these preferences but are also financially literate, they are able to do so. And the way we, mm. we sort of interpret that result is that it, re it requires you to have some kind of minimum financial knowledge in order to be able to tr translate your preferences uh, for, for green into financial products. So do you think that it's that a lot of people who are environmentalists distrust markets so much that they don't even put their money into any kind of portfolio? And so you're not going to put your money into a green portfolio because they're staying away from markets altogether? Well, uh, that might be a, a motivation, but I think uh, maybe, a, uh, maybe an easier, easier explanation is just that these green preferences seem to be stronger for younger people, for low-income groups amongst women and so forth. And these are typically um, socio-demographics that uh, um, are, 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 are not so uh, associated with, with high financial knowledge, but rather the opposite, lower financial knowledge. I see. So, so the way I, 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 I view it is that there's a gap here in knowledge that uh, people need to overcome. They need to know how they are supposed to take financial decisions that are greener. We can, we can, we can for instance, see that if you look at green mutual funds, um, meaning that they're not only labeled as green funds, but they also have something that indicates that they are green funds in their name, then you see a very strong effect that green preferences seem to be represented in the choices. So these people seem to find um, the correct choices that sort of harmonizes with their beliefs uh, when it's very easy uh, to, to, to select the funds. Anders, um, this is the last question, but I, maybe you can clear something up that I've been genuinely confused about for a long time or unclear mm -hmm. about. So, things are a little bit different now with interest rates rising across the world, but for most of the past decade or so, money was pretty cheap. And yep. there was lots of it floating around the world. And so much of it seemed to be going to things with no use value. I mean, I'm thinking about you know, Bitcoin, for example. Mm -hmm. But there are all of these really necessary technologies, things that we need right away. I know there are 
machines or technologies which can capture carbon, but they're not being implemented on a on a wide scale. So I'm wondering why it seems like so much of your work has been about green finance. Why is it that more of that easy money, all of that capital is not going to things that are going to save the planet, but instead going to things which are fundamentally useless? What's your what's your theory or your sense of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think you see both, but I do think that many uh, sort of new investors, people that come into the um, market and not knowing so much about finance, they are uh, sort of amazed by by the historical returns of cryptocurrency and, mm-hmm. and maybe some tech companies and uh, and so forth. So so they tend to invest in very risky operations um, and they also tend to be under diversified which is a really bad thing but these things seems to correct themselves in the long run and what we see now with prices falling for many of these assets is something that uh, you you might have expected actually for for some time that <laughs> yeah there has to be a, a, some kind of alignment uh, and, and do you think that correction means that more money will go into because, by the way, it, it does seem to me that if you invested in the right green technologies, the returns could be phenomenal as well. It, it, it doesn't yeah. have to be that you only get 8% return on these green technologies. You could be getting 100x if they are things yeah. that, in fact, save the planet. So I guess that's mm-hmm. one question is why is it we're not seeing higher returns? But I'm also wondering whether or not you think, you know, in the end, it's a good thing that there's been a correction in the crypto market because more of that money will go towards the right places. Yes, yeah, so so I think uh, I mean again I think many people they want to do the the right thing, uh, but they they may not have the understanding of, of of what the right thing is. So so say for instance an e-bike. It, it's I also have an e-bike now, and and it feels good that uh, you know <laughs> I, I'm mainly substituting for regular bikes. I'm not sure in my case how well I'm I'm doing here, but. But in any case, uh, I'm, I'm still not driving a car. But but the thing is, if I really want to change um, the world uh, in in this dimension, what I should do with my money instead of buying an e-bike is probably, you know, replacing you know 100 uh, coal ovens in Africa uh, with electric ones instead. That would make make a much more mm. uh, bigger impact on on carbon emissions. So many. Fairly easy, straightforward, but boring investments are, are needed in order to, to um, uh, really make a change in this dimension. But I don't think many people know about this. They're, they, are, they are more concerned about uh, you know, their, their, uh, their life where they live and their natural sur- surroundings. It's, uh, I think it's quite human. You don't consider the full set of opportunities that... Uh, and and you know, global warming is a, you know, a global problem. So... We need to uh, look out uh, and and you know see the big picture here, and not only be concerned uh, with ourselves exactly what we how we. Um, uh, I mean, it's good that we care about consumption and so forth, but ultimately, we need to uh, mobilize ourselves and think globally if we want to change things. 